0: Ministers, we are back yet again for number three. So, I have been painting my office. It's not going well so far, but we will get there, and then maybe one day I will record in the space I'm paying for. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. In a
1: place for me to visit
0: while I'm in town. Yes, it's got to be pretty before you can see it. Yes. More spooky, not pretty, but that's okay. (laughs) All right, guys. This week we are doing a story on Israel Keys. Not very many people have heard of him. Um, It was kind of hushed under the rug. Still trying to figure out why that was. Um, There's many mysteries in this, um, but pretty much if he wouldn't have unraveled, he probably still would be killing to this day. So um, he was one of the. biggest, most successful serial serial killers out there, according to... And it's
1: says. crazy that you haven't heard... That I haven't heard of him until you brought this story
0: to Yeah, me. and actually... So that's crazy. One of my coworkers, the one who owns the building that I rent the place from, actually, um, she is the one who told me to look him up because she's from Arizona. So that's a cool little thing, and... Um, she told me a cool little snippet about that. Um, and so I got intrigued and decided I was going to do some research and I found a lot. So we'll dive right in here. You did. (laughs) There's a lot of information we're about to go through. Yeah. So bear with us. Um, we'll try to break it up evenly. (laughs) All right. So he was born January 7th of 1978 in Richmond, Utah. He was the second of 10 children, um, but he was the oldest boy. His parents are Heidi and Jeffrey Keyes. They were fundamentalist Mormons, and that it consists of plural marriage as practiced by the Latter-day Saints. Um, they are based off of a United Order, which is a form of egalitarian communism, which is no single authority. Um, so there's no president or one single leader. They vote. And all that good stuff on decisions they hold meetings and he and his mm-hmm. siblings were all born at home they never saw a doctor and they were homeschooled so he was a
1: very sheltered kid
0: isolated yeah they um, yeah. had the utmost control over their children they knew nothing about the real world mm-hmm. I'm sure that his parents you know told them that the outside world was evil. You know, Satan had mm-hmm. dug his claws in there.
1: Great way to start a serial killer episode. Yes. The family moved to Stevens County, Washington, and attended a Christian identity church called The Ark. The church was known for its racism and anti-Semitism. The children grew up in the woods, totally isolated, with no electricity or heat, and they lived for the first seven years in Washington in a tent while Jeffrey built a cabin for the family by hand. In the late 1900s, the family relocated to Maupin, Oregon. Later, they moved again, and this time they settled close to an Amish community in Maine. Growing up, Israel became the father figure for his family. His father was either busy building a cabin or working on the mountain or praying for hours in the woods. That gives you a creepy visual of his dad just being gone, just in the woods, by himself.
0: Praying away. Creepy. Um, he, from the get-go, had so much responsibility and so many burdens on his shoulders. Um, being the mm-hmm. second of ten children... That's a lot to take care of. Yeah. And again, totally isolated. Um, No
1: electricity or heat. So he didn't know anything about the world.
0: Yes. Um, He started stealing guns by breaking into the surrounding neighbors' houses at just 10 years old. Um, He was known for his love of hunting and would pursue anything with a heartbeat By the age of 14, he was torturing animals, including any of their household pets. That is a common trait of serial killers, and it's also linked to psychopathy. He was also starting fires as well. He was a pyro. He knew from 14 years old that things people knew weren't okay or normal. He found okay and normal. Um, At the age of 14, to know that there's a big difference between you and everybody else is pretty big. And then, as a teenager, he told his family that he no longer believed in their faith. So, he already seems to have established himself, like, he knows himself pretty well already. By 14, I had no clue who I was, but he seems to have already started watering the roots to all yeah. of his beliefs
1: and I feel like with any serial killer that's ever talked about the first indicator is that they harmed animals they killed animals they would start fires and they knew that people looked at that as bad but they saw it as perfectly
0: normal okay behavior even pleasurable yeah um, so when his family found out that he didn't believe in what they believed anymore His dad, Jeffrey, cut him off, but he and his mom, Heidi, remained very close. And it makes you wonder if his mom, knowing what, I'd hope, knowing what a halfway normal life actually is, that she would have seen those signs. Mm -mm. But, I mean, who's to say? Seems like he was a mama's boy.
1: And mama only saw the best in him. (laughs) That's right, sweetie. (laughs) It's <laughs> okay you killed our cat but it's okay <laughs> at the age of 16 he committed his first abduction and rape with a complete stranger um, we have found many articles that his first crime says 16 and others said 18 in 1996 which is that time frame is debatable upon articles so the abduction and rape happened in Oregon he lured her away from her friends while they were intertubing and hiking at the Deschutes River. Um, She was between the ages of 14 and 18. Um, He did let her live, and he told the FBI later that he wasn't violent enough and decided this would never happen again. And obviously that was not true. Otherwise, we would not be here today discussing it if he just realized what he was doing was wrong.
0: Well, he decided that no one would live anymore. So anyone he took victim they would die. Oh. He would never let anyone live again. Okay. I
1: understand. I thought he stated that day that he didn't think he could get that violent oh. enough and that he wouldn't try to do that no. again. He wouldn't let them live. I understand live. now what that <laughs> means. Okay. Okay. Then that makes
0: sense. We're following the timeline pretty well. Yes. Um. So he... To me, in this sense, he's like Ted Bundy. He's charming. He's a smooth talker. He's easily trusted Mm -hmm. um, for her to leave her friends for some, you know, probably cute guy who's hitting on her. It's scary that it can happen that fast. And you truly never know who you're meeting in this world. Right. Yeah. And the fact that she lived
1: through that, like you escaped a serial killer that would haunt me. Like, yeah. the fact that she now knows what she he was, was his capable first victim. of and what he did after. Yeah.
0: Like, that would just shake me to my core. Absolutely. Um, in 1998, this is a big interesting part for me. In 1998, he joins the military. I don't understand how He joined the military because he has no birth certificate, no social security number, which are two major things that you need to do anything in this country, but he's accepted into the military. Um, Mm -hmm. Some of the guys he served with were interviewed, and he was known as a super soldier, and they were all fucking terrified of him, like absolutely yeah. terrified.
1: And we have to remember that this was literally in 1998. At this time, you know, the military and the government did get more strict with identification. This isn't back like in the, like, World War, War One,
0: 100,
1: Like a hundred years ago. Right. Well, that wasn't a hundred years ago, but getting close. Oh. <laughs> right. So, yeah, that's that doesn't make any sense on why he was accepted into that. No. I would really much like to know how that happened, but we'll keep going. In 2001, he was honorably discharged from the military after serving three years. He then moved in with his mo- with the mother of his infant daughter in the Mackay Reservation in Naya Bay, where she was a member of a tribe. He worked for the tribal authority, which is very weird um, considering he's an outsider, um, not really sure why they would put him in charge of anything. Again, I feel like he murdered. Oh, you go ahead. <laughs> you go ahead. <laughs> he murdered for the first time here in Nea Bay. The FBI asked him if he committed the first murder after he was discharged from the army in two thousand one, and he simply
0: stated, "Yeah, Naya Bay is a boring town." So I. I think this is where his characteristics like Ted Bundy come into play again. I think he's very charming. He's a smooth talker. He can essentially manipulate anyone into giving him more power. The more power he has, the more control he feels. Mm -hmm. It's like a high for him.
1: You can definitely tell just by that statement and the statement that he's making to police that... He's proud and cocky of his work, Very arrogant. Of himself. Yeah. Yeah.
0: In 2005, he killed an unknown couple in Washington. He refused to divulge any details about the victims, um, so they aren't... As far as I know, they're still trying to put together who's who. Who is who, yeah.
1: From missing reports to bodies. Yes,
0: um, When... Asked where they were buried, he was very vague and simply said they were near a valley. Um, Come to find out, between 2001 and 2007, he committed four murders, and that's including the couple in Washington. So two other people. He told the FBI that at least one of the bodies was dumped in the Crescent Lake using anchors. So the couple was buried in a valley, and there was another body dumped in Crescent Crescent Lake using anchors. So that's one body they still haven't accounted for in that area. In 2007, he started robbing banks as well, having to fund his, all his stuff, his travel, all the um, equipment he needs to commit these crimes. And then mm-hmm. in 2009, he abducted an unknown female who is believed to be Deborah Feldman, who is 49 of New Jersey. The FBI suspected it was her and when they showed him her picture he said i'm not ready to talk about that one yet goosebumps so again arrogant very cocky arrogant.
1: like he definitely knew that like when he was talking to the police that he was leading he was in charge like for sure he had the information that he didn't want to give because he kind of liked the chase
0: yes and it a little tidbits here and there would last him quite a while. It would keep them wanting to talk to him. Yeah. In twenty eleven he broke
1: into Bill and Lorraine Courier's house in Exit, Vermont. He took them to another location and once subdued, he shot Bill and then he sexually assaulted Lorraine and later strangled her. Their bodies have yet to be found. In two thousand twelve, he kidnapped Samantha Coning, eighteen and he raped and strangled her. He put her body in a shed and left for two to three weeks. When he came back, he did Samantha's makeup and sewn her eyes open. He took a picture and demanded a 30000 ransom that was to be put into her bank account. The FBI had to call a specialist in to determine if she was dead or alive. He dismembered her body and dumped her into Matanuska, Matanuska Lake near Anchorage. Before he left Alaska, he took some money out of her account. They tracked the transactions down to New Mexico, Arizona, and Texas. Despite his attempts at disguises, his rental car appeared on one of the tapes and was reported to the FBI. In that time, before they arrested him, he went to spend time with his mother and some of his sisters in Texas. They tried to convince him to reconsider his turning away from religion and they had a priest there and he told them you don't know the depths of darkness i've gone to you don't know what i've done when he was finally caught he claimed he felt out of control and when he was smarter he would let them come to him
0: so as once he was caught and started talking he already knew that he He unraveled. He went a little Mm -hmm. nuts. Lost complete control of himself. Um, Samantha was obviously his biggest victim. Main victim. Just for the fact that she was his undoing. And ultimately why he got caught.
1: He definitely took a lot of turns with her. He did a lot of things that he wouldn't have done with other victims. Like... He improvised a lot. Yeah. I don't know. That just is so weird that he did her makeup like he went to far lengths to try to get this whole plan. It was a go
0: big or go home situation with her.
1: Um, That's that one. That one creeps me out. That one reminds me of an episode of Criminal Minds. For sure. Not going to
0: lie. Um, What is intriguing about him compared to other serial killers, he didn't start out small with high-risk victims, for example, like sex workers, homeless, any just vagrant off the street. Um, He didn't start out doing it at night either, like most of them do. He started in broad daylight, and he continued in whatever was convenient for him, whenever he felt like it. He had no type. He was all over the map. He took both males and females race didn't matter, age didn't matter. Um, He had thoroughly thought this out and had kill kits that were buried in different areas all over the U.S. in New York, Washington, Wyoming, Texas, Arizona, Oregon, all over, I mean all over the U.S. They consisted of shovels, money, guns, ammunition, and Drano to help with the decomposition of the body speculation that he could have gone on killing sprees in other countries because he often traveled to Canada, Mexico, and Belize where he would only use cash and take the battery out of his cell phone so he couldn't be tracked. He told the FBI that he had read Mindhunter and watched, like, CSI, Criminal Minds, and studied serial killers so he could learn from their mistakes. Well, that didn't get him very far. No. No. And everything he did with Samantha literally was on the not to do list. He was stupid at the end.
1: <laughs> yeah, he was dumb in the end. He definitely let his ego run and bit him in the ass. Thank God. Now, there are some suspicious behavior around the case. The FBI kept this case as a hush hush as possible, no media release. They hid a lot of information about Israel, including his childhood and interviews. The military was also unwilling to give out full information. A journalist, Maureen Callahan, had found an article in the newspaper about Israel. She was determined to find out more information about Israel himself, his victims, and the case in general. She was in contact with the FBI for a year and a half. They wouldn't talk about his childhood much and then she sued the Alaskan federal prosecutor for $30,000 and got access to 15 hours worth of interview tapes. She requested his military file and the military would only release 8 pages. Why are they hiding this information and there is there something that's being covered up?
0: I know this sounds very conspiracy theorist but like, I wonder if they were watching his family from the beginning and, like, just, like, picked him out the group. <laughs> Put yeah. him in the military, tested you mean, like, him, the military? him. Yeah. And it makes you wonder mm-hmm. if, like, they covered it up for that reason.
1: Yeah. I mean... There's definitely something there on why they're not being as open about this because when he got caught, that was not that long ago. When people commit this big of a crime of these all these serial killers, like you see that on every news station, the fact that this had no media release, mm-hmm. like why? Yeah, I am. And if he served for that long in the military, he would have more than eight pages. Oh, for sure. I know that.
0: I know he would have more than eight pages. So, yes, that is the story on on Israel Keys. Um, It was a little bit of a longer one, um, but there was so much information to sift through. And we will post some pictures up on our um, social media pages for you guys to see what he looks like. I'll see if I can find any victims' pictures and put those up. Um, So, yeah, it was a crazy one. It was a wild ride.
1: Yeah, I feel like this was a good start to our serial killer section of our podcast. (laughs) He definitely is scary. And just even the way that he acts with the police after he gets caught kind of gives me weird
0: goosebumps yeah and so some people you can just tell they just look off Mm -hmm. he looks just like any regular Joe Schmo off the street like you never would have expected that from his picture so I'll definitely get that posted
1: alright so that concludes episode 3 we are getting there we are getting somewhere slowly but surely
0: getting in that groove we're doing good
1: I'm excited for what's to come. I am really, really itching for an Urban Legend
0: episode. Actually, I do have an Urban Legend one ready, and it's a local one. Oh, okay. All right, guys. um, Go give us a follow on Instagram and on Facebook. On Instagram.
1: Let us know how we're doing. Yes, for
0: sure. Give us a rating. Feel free to... Tell us what you would like to hear more of. Feel free to email us. Our email is on the Facebook page and on the Instagram page. The Instagram page is Sinister's Podcast, and on Facebook it's just Sinister Stories to Tell in the Dark. Um, subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcast. Um, give us a rating, any reviews. Um, also, if you have any stories you would like to share with us, you can post anonymously or share who you are, but go ahead and email that to us, and we once we get a few of those, we'll start telling those on the podcast as well. So.
1: Yeah. Thank you guys for tuning in again and have a spooky night. Bye.